Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. It's not just a win. It is a huge, wonderful, massive, terrific, spellbinding win. This is the FDA being told that you cannot overregulate the cigar industry, but it's far bigger than just the cigar industry. This is about overreach of the federal government and about how one judge said enough. And maybe, just maybe, that could start a very worthwhile ripple effect. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And you guys know I host the largest cigar and bourbon radio review program in the country, Eat, Drink, Smoke, EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. This rule is huge, as I said, beyond huge and beyond important in so many ways for the manufacturer, for the small business owner in the cigar industry, and outside of the cigar industry. Let me bring them on. This is Joshua Haberski. He is the, uh, I believe it is the Deputy Executive Director of the Premium Cigar Association and Glenn Loop uh, right there, the State Advocacy Director of the Premium Cigar Association, premiumcigars.org. I know Glenn from his days uh, at Cigar Rights of America, where I am a lifetime member, and I am a member in good standing of the Premium Cigar Association. Uh, just a member. We have no other financial relationship. Uh, Josh, I want to start with you, and I want to start with what in the world we learn from uh, this ruling, this Judge Amit Mehta, who earlier, just maybe a year ago, had questioned the FDA's decisions here, saying this was arbitrary and capricious, now throwing out what we're calling the deeming rule. Walk us through it. What was the deeming rule, and what has Judge Mehta now said? Yeah, so the you know the, this was a monumental victory. As you mentioned, last year, uh, the decision was in our favor, that it was found to be arbitrary and capricious. Um, now this was the remedy of, of that ruling. And um, this was the overall regulation of premium cigars and the authority to do such by the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, they messed that up. This has been a seven year um, litigation process. It, you know, warning labels were a piece of it. Pre-market review. Those were uh, two other cases involved in this. So kind of a three part series. And uh, this was kind of the, the grand finale. In that grand finale, um, it was much more than just saying, hey, you're overstepping. It's saying that you don't have jurisdiction to treat cigars like cigarettes. And for a lot of people, that is still anathema to them. They don't understand why, why it's a smoking product. Why isn't it treated the same? Give the breakdown here. Why isn't it treated the same? Yeah, you know, it, they did neglected to address a lot of the comments that were filed. Um, you know, folks like Cigar Rights of America uh, filed comments that said premium cigars are different. If you look at user profiles, usage patterns, health effects, and, you know, the FDA ignored it. Uh, they didn't follow the science. 
And, um, you know, I think that the judge took him to task on that. He took him to the task on the merits. But at the end of the day, um, the jurisdiction and the the deeming rule um, violated the Administrative Procedures Act. And, um, you know, we're, we're very excited for this victory because it means a lot to consumers, retailers and manufacturers. Glenn, the, these kinds of fights happen in the hall of halls of Congress. There's actually some great shots of you and Josh just last week, the premium cigar association and the boutique cigar association, Dr. Gabby Caffey, uh, Armin Capellian and, and, and others really working to try and get both the cigar caucus, which now exists in the house and others to understand these differences and the very mom and pop kind of world that cigars is. This isn't the world of, of, uh, you know, big business. This is actually the world of small business. How difficult is it to get the average cigar smoker, right? People who are just enjoying a cigar to understand the detailed politics uh, that we're talking about here, that it isn't about a question of right of right versus left. It's whether or not you get to enjoy a product that you want to enjoy. <laughs> well, that's why this moment capsulizes the parallel path that this fight's been going down for not just seven years, but nine years. I was in an Indiana hotel room when this deeming rule first came out. And ironically enough, I'll be back near that same hotel room this coming Sunday night. But this deeming rule came out nine years ago. And we knew then that the politics and the approach, the strategy that the cigar industry had to carry out had to be fundamentally different than anything it had ever done in its history. You're absolutely right. It's a small business issue. It's an American small business issue. And we highlighted that through the public comment period process where over 65,000 comments were filed by small businesses and consumers across America. The premium cigar industry never had to play this political game before in its entire history. All of a sudden, we were petitioning the White House. We were petitioning Congress. We were supporting premium cigar exemption legislation in Congress. We were rounding up congressional co-sponsors in the House and the Senate like never before. Politicians in, in the United States Congress that had never tried to differentiate premium cigars from other tobacco products. I've said a thousand times since this process began, that if there was ever any redeeming value of what we just went through for the last nine years, is that it forced this industry to study itself. And the culmination of that was the filing of public comment period pieces like this, just to give you a dramatic situation of what had to be filed. This is over a $275,000 study of this industry, breaking down that we're not the problem. We're not the problem in public health. We're not the problem in public public youth access. We're not the problem on adverse public health consequences like inhalation, addiction, and mortality. And Judge Mayda's decision made it very clear. They ignored what we submitted. Now, now that's, that's part of this story here, right? So this is, if you go to the Premium Cigar Association website, uh, as, part, as a party to this litigation, the Premium Cigar Association applauds this important decision by Judge Meta. The evidence from the, being, uh, from the beginning, it should say, has been clear that premium cigars ought not to be regulated or deemed as the FDA had asserted for over a decade. The point there, Josh, is that the FDA knows the difference. The FDA knows the difference between a cigarette and a premium cigar. 
So two questions for you. First, how do you describe it, the differences between a premium cigar and a cigarette? And then the follow-up to, to, to Glenn's point, the FDA knew they weren't describing it right. Why didn't they just admit that they were wrong from the beginning? Well, I think, you know, we have a clear definition of a premium cigar. The judge gave us eight points. It has to meet that criteria. Whole leaf tobacco, vegetable gum and water. Those are the three components to it. Um, and, um, you know, they are vastly different than other combustible products that are out there. Um, the research says that, you know, I think that the FDA, uh, you know, it's, it's much more convenient to have this one size fits all regulation. And that's what they tried to do. That's what they had tried to apply to premium cigars. And they were taken to task. I mean, you, you know, each tobacco product out there is is different. You know, the association we represent, pipe tobacco, that's also very different than cigarettes or, or vapor products or what, whatever is out there. And I think that, you know, the FDA in, in looking at this, luckily, we're not under their 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 authority currently. But the, uh, they need to examine and do some soul searching as they regulate other products out there. Yeah, the, uh, the, the ruling looked like uh, this right here, Cigar Association of America versus the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the reasons set forth in the court's memorandum opinions. Judgment is entered in favor of plaintiffs. The final deeming rule is vacated insofar as it applies to premium cigars, which, of course, uh, is, is about that definition of premium cigars. So uh, following just that a little bit further, Glenn, maybe in, in your words, the difference between a premium cigar and the cigar that you might get at a local convenience store. Well, we had to go to great pains to differentiate ourselves. And we did it both in a physical context of that, that this is an all natural product. And that resonated, I think, with not only the judge, but with some bureaucrats at the FDA. Otherwise, there would not have been this recognition that exemption should have been on the table. And the moment that they put the possibility of exemption on the table said that we ought to be treated differently. Josh is absolutely right. There was this diligent effort for a one-size-fits-all mentality and approach and a bureaucratic scheme and in fact, if you read this original deeming rule that came out in, in March, April 25th, 2014, there was a painstaking effort to equate us to cigarettes. I mean, almost every page of this said there's not a bloody amount of difference when we know that due to the lack of inhalation and again, the lack of equating us with addiction and mortality, we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that statistically we're a non-factor. And that's yeah, one of the I, reasons that from the beginning of this legal case to today, the FDA itself has said we're on the lowest rung of the ladder for, for enforcement. And by saying that, they, they've admitted time and again, we're not the problem, but yet, yet, yet let's treat you like a pack of cigarettes. Right. And, and this is much more a conversation about politicos uh, on any side of the aisle. This this isn't a Republican-Democrat issue. There are plenty of Democrats in the state of Florida, for example, and other places that are absolutely with the Premium Cigar Association, with uh, the, the industry, because so much of their world is based in that industry. This doesn't actually become a political issue. This becomes rather an ideological issue and one that isn't based 
on data, as you talk about, on even some of that, that medical uh, data that shows where premium cigars are in relationship to other things, not being the same product, not an inhaled product, uh, other things like that. Uh, give me an idea of how this affects the mom and pop shop. Josh, I'll, I'll start with you. Josh Haberski, uh, Deputy Executive Director of the Premium Cigar Association and Glenn Loop, State Advocacy Director of the Premium Cigar Association, premiumcigars.org. Uh, Josh, talk to me about you're, you're now talking to the mom and pop shops. If you were going to explain to them how this ruling, the throwing out of the deeming rule, affects them, how do you describe it? Yeah, uh, really two main things. You can have more products on your shelves. And that's something that, you know, we throughout these lawsuits, we've been able to score those victories. Uh, but it affirmed, you know, that that our premium cigars, they, they will have left less hurdles to go- cross. And then secondly, uh, the cost controls of premium cigars. If you have regulatory compliance, it adds to uh, the cost of the overall product by striking these things down, uh, testing requirements and uh, pre-market review and warning labels. A lot of these other pieces, um, you know, those would have added to costs, which, you know, would have made it more difficult for small businesses to operate. And for all of us as end consumers of premium cigars to afford them. If you go elsewhere outside of the United States and look at the prices of cigars in Canada and in Europe, it's uh, they're astronomical. And a lot of that has to do with governmental compliance costs and regulations. Let me put it in a little bit of a different perspective. Go ahead, Glenn. I had a, a meeting with the, a member of the United States Congress and the United States Senate staff in a humidor, in a humidor. And we asked all the retailers from the state to join us. And we had about 15 retailers in a walk-in humidor and I physically went around the humidor and I said, this company can't be a, afford to be regulated. This company cannot afford to be regulated. This company cannot afford to be regulated. And, by, and I was dead fight serious and calling them out. And I said to the people in the small businesses that were in that humidor with me, with the congressional staff, I said, what happens when 50% of the companies in this humidor right now cannot afford to be regulated? What happens to your business on Main Street, Portland, Main Street, Des Moines, Iowa, Main Street, Omaha, Nebraska? And they said, we're out of business. We're out of business. And we had a definitive study that was reinforced by the United States Small Business Administration that this is one of the only regulations that they've ever seen where the cost of compliance equaled 100% of the profit margin for every company. Now, what does that say? What does that say when the Office of Advocacy for the United States Small Business Administration as an independent advisor to Congress on regulation says every dollar of compliance equals every dollar of profit? It says to me that Judge Mehta has done us all a favor and the elimination of this deeming rule requires a party and a celebration. Glenn Loop, Josh Haberski, Premium Cigar Association, premiumcigars.org. Gentlemen, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.